I'm looking for a translatable story and or character. Uh, most of the content that I really gravitate towards is is character focused, um, a character that is uh, in complete need and, and finds a way around that, those obstacles. Hey, welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for everyone that wants to learn all the dirty little secrets that make Hollywood tick. Today, I'm super excited to have John Beach on board for the podcast. Uh, he's been... Hey, <laughs> for 20 years, you have been a literary agent. You started off at Paradigm, and then you went over to Acme Talent and uh, Literary. He then um, migrated over to Acme, where he created uh, Fortress Features, where he aided in raising capital for their development fund, then went over to and formed, opened up the um, Los Angeles offices for IndyCar, where he had uh, produced such uh, shows as Mythbusters and Let's Make a Deal and How It's Made. Uh, then he started Gravity Squared Entertainment in Los Angeles, management production-based company. In 2015, he has over 170 books, treatment scripts under various forms of uh, development, management, packaging, etc., He's currently instrumental on Mosaic and Legendary Pictures uh, project with Will Farrow starring uh, Adam McKay. And he optioned a book to DreamWorks Animation TV about a little unicorn uh, being raised by a narwhal. <laughs> Welcome. I, I, so how on earth uh, did you grow up and wake up one morning when you were a little kid going... You know, I think I want to be a lit a lit agent, or or did it something else? Uh, you know, bring you into this, um, you know, behind the scenes controlling of those with creative entities. Uh, no, nothing like that. I did not grow up wanting to be a uh, a manager, or I, I didn't even grow up wanting to to really work in film. Uh, that happened just by happenstance, and a door opened, and I walked in it. Um, I went to college, uh, had, had a degree in psychology, so I studied psychology and, and thought that I was going to, um, you know, go to a military college and go into the military, and then later possibly join the FBI. But uh, we all know that you know sometimes doors open, and and we all we walk in them. So I walked in it, uh, and that was originally to be an actor. Um, and I just, I hated it. So I actually worked, uh, I, I, I worked a little bit and, um, there was just no creativity in it whatsoever. So, um, I moved to behind the scenes and that's when I started the paradigm. A paradigm when you started was, you know, I'm not saying that they're not in their heyday, but you know, there was a lot of talent, you know, at that time under, uh, paradigms, you know, umbrella. And there was a lot of talent that they were bringing in in agents as well what was it like you know growing up as that being your first exposure which is a pretty big house and it was a pretty big house at that time it was a very big house at that time i think it was 99 2000 when i was there um and i was in tv lit um and and they had some of the best in tv lit uh, at the time um 
Uh, and, and it would be a, a, a task or, or, or impossible for me to remember everything back then. But um, no, it, it was it was a great start. Um, uh, the agent that I worked for, we didn't have the best relationship in the world as that happens in agencies sometimes. Uh, so I, I went from there to uh, to Acme Town Literary and, and stayed at Acme for uh, for a good while. So I think a lot of people that um, may be listening, they don't know that when you start off at an agency, you don't jump into agenting right away. You know, that that entry level is usually what they're calling working at a desk and and you're servicing that agent, whatever that agent is for whatever department. Also, I think a lot of people have a misnomer that, you know, agents oh, they they just, you know, a lit agent just represents anything that's written. And that's actually carved into pockets, you know, TV lit, feature film lit, comedy, drama also can be carved up within those. How did that working at that that desk experience prepare you when you when you actually jumped over, you know, to your own desk at Acme? Uh, well, I'll, I'll first just add to what you had just said, too, because uh, agents sometimes cross over. Not, not, yes, sometimes they might be uh, just um, TV lit, uh, but their clients might also be actors or their clients might also write features. So sometimes that carries over to uh, other um, uh, departments as well. Uh, so uh, I'll just add to that. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, starting at one of the, one of the top five agencies in, in the world um, definitely prepared me for, um, you know, moving over to, uh, to, to Acme Town Literary. But like you said, you know, I started off on the desk um, and I moved over to a desk at Acme. And I think I did that for um, a, a total of between agencies, uh, probably about a year and a half or two years um, before I, before Acme said that I could start taking on my first clients. So, and I, and just to, just to say, uh, my, one of my first clients, uh, was Catherine Coulter, who, uh, is a, a book author and I think she's written 80 some books. So that was my first client that I took on at the time. Uh, and I, I didn't even, I had no clue how to handle it or how to manage it, but I, of course I tried. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, it's interesting because you, you were you, you had your focus as the FBI, and then you you went into acting, and then from there went into lit. So I mean, how how did that that leap uh, go into handling? First of all, a book author as your first client, uh, uh, handling lit, bringing that acting over. I don't know FBI investigation. Well, I I wish I could answer that uh, adequately, but I I probably can't. Uh... Uh, I, I, I never I never even got close to the going to uh, the military college or going into the FBI. It just it never happened while in high school. Uh, you know, a door opened and, and I, I went into that door and that's what led me to where I am today. So if if that door hadn't opened, I wouldn't have started acting. I wouldn't have moved to Los Angeles. I wouldn't have, you know, uh, uh, gone this journey. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even know how the other side would have played out uh, if it had started to play out, but it, it never started to play out. Well, when you when you had ta taken on your first client, which was a book, a book author, a novelist, uh, you know, how did you handle that? Did you 
uh, quickly go off and start reading some of her novels and try and consume as much as you could? Uh, you know, how did you handle that? And what was your, you know, game plan? Did you did you want to to start selling her novels? I know Acme did a lot of packaging um, at that time. Was that a focus that they put upon you saying, you know, here, she's got 80 books. Now figure it out, kid. I don't think uh, that the the agency says, hey, go package this. That's that's more the agent or the manager saying, hey, I I would like to do this. I would like to you know, find the director, I would like to get more involved. And and that's kind of why I went to the management side now is because I can get more involved as opposed to being an agent and not being able to get more involved. So, you know, you, you, you take on more than you can chew um, and, and you just try your best. So, yes, uh, I definitely tried to familiarize myself with, with all of Catherine's content. Um, <clears throat> I had another author as well. His name was Robert Ellis. He had a book called The Dead Room, which I, I still love to this day, and I've never been able to get that one off the ground. Such a great book. Um, but, uh, yeah, we literally try to familiarize yourself with, with as many as possible. It's, it's almost impossible to read everything. Uh, so, you know, you're, I constantly struggle with being able to read everything. That is my, my nemesis, is, is trying to read everything that, that I have. There's no way to do it. So I familiar my, familiarize myself as best I can with everything that I have. So, um, and then as far as the packaging goes, yes, uh, for I, whether it's an agent or whether it's a manager or whether it's a producer, our job is to make our content as saleable as possible. So adding that value, whether it be a, a you know a screenwriter or a director or an actor or a producer uh, to come on and, and add value to that package. That's our job. If we add value and that makes more money for our client in the long run, great. Uh, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't pan out like that and you just end up selling a book clean. And that's not a bad way either. But to me, uh, adding those elements to the project, uh, a, a screenwriter, a director, uh, a notable producer or an actor, uh, to me, that's added value. So to me, that is, uh, it makes it more saleable. Well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, you know, when you were over at Acme, that was around the time where packaging was started being a really big focus. You know, now we cut to, you know, the year 2022, 2023 and, and beyond. Um, and, and you now have this wonderful management company that has the ability to do that. What do you look for? Uh, what stands out? Do you automatically, does your brain automatically start packaging as you're, as you're reading uh, with suggestions on how to make this thing go and make it a saleable unit for some of the streamers or? That is, that is one of the uh, one of the problems uh, with uh, people that package is when we're reading something. Yes, we are thinking of people immediately, and that's why I can't read something very quickly. Is because I'm constantly making notes, constantly saying, "Oh my gosh, Elizabeth Banks would be great for this," or you know, Kira Sedgwick or Kevin Bacon or whomever. 
uh, I'm constantly thinking of people that might be suitable for this. So it takes me forever to read. I mean, it takes me forever to read anyway, because the, the pile is high and the list is long. But when you're reading and thinking about development and thinking about uh, packaging and who you can go to, you're constantly taking time away to go to your notes and, and take notes on everything. So uh, yes, I'm constantly all the time thinking of where I can take projects, where I can, who I can take it to, who I can add value for. When you have that list in your head, um, you know, AI, artificial intelligence uh, programs are, are kind of starting to take over not only the planet, but also the industry. Are you utilizing any of that when you're combining or looking at possible combinations in your package? Have you guys started? No, you're doing it out of gut feeling and more from an artistic standpoint. Uh, gut feeling and, and then also where do I have good relationships? Uh, I, I think the relationship side is, is probably the biggest side. Um, who can I, uh, you know, where is kind of where is my good pitch? You know, where can I like, you know, Elizabeth Banks or, you know, places like that, places I have really good relationships with who can sell it, who adds value to it, who can green light it. You're constantly thinking about those those aspects when you're looking at content. And and sometimes if you can't think of a place, you, you might have to pass on that content, because if I can't add value to it, uh, I, I, I don't want to waste my time or uh, the writer's time. Uh, so, you know, I need to be able to add value to it and, and do it justice as well. So with today's climate, um, especially since COVID and just, you know, the, the lack of content and now the boom of content, and now the kind of the second boom of television content, um, where do you find it easier to sell to the streaming buyers as opposed to the studio buyers is it easier to work with one over the other uh no uh i i i found it especially during covid uh easier to work with everyone uh to be very honest the pandemic was 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 extremely good to me uh which is is odd you know it to me it felt like people were uh, serious about their job, more serious about their job in development and reading more during the pandemic. And maybe that's because they were stuck at home or, or whatever, or maybe they were, they were really focused on keeping their deal at their company that they were at, uh, and needed to find good content to bring in. I don't know what that, what that necessarily is, but I sold more during the pandemic than I had other times. So the, the pandemic was very good to me. Um, as far as getting content out there and, and, and selling content. Post-pandemic now where, you know, everything is is all, almost back to normal, you know, um, do you find it challenging, more challenging, less challenging? What's your hurdles um, that you have to overcome when, <laughs> when you're trying to get a buyer to go, yes, here's your check? The hurdle is actually trying to get out and be in person. That's the hurdle. Because uh, I don't want to. Uh, I mean, this is working. Why? Why try to beat a dead horse? This this works. You know, I sold I sold one of my biggest projects that I've ever sold during the pandemic over Zoom. I mean, it. it I, I never met any of those in those people in person. Sean Hader, who we sold the the Being Human project 
to uh, to Apple, I'd never met her in person. I still haven't met her in person. My client, and this is this is crazy, actually. My client, Judy Human, who is the 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 mother of the disability rights movement and basically started the Americans with Disability with Disabilities Act. I never met her until 2021 Oscars when she was here for Crip Camp. That's sad because I've worked with her since 2016, but you know, 16 happened, 17 happened. She was writing a book. We never got the chance before the pandemic and then the pandemic. So I literally didn't meet her until the 21 uh, Oscars in person. In person. Yeah, of course. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You know, I have a lot of people, friends that are uh, in the studios. Some are doing a hybrid, a couple of days on campus days at home. Some have not gone back to campus. Some departments have not gone back to and don't plan on going back to campus. Others have. Um, how do you feel this is going to impact us, you know, in the future? Do you think that, you know, we're migrating more into those that can function off of Zoom and stay at home and, and, and do that? They're going to, they're going to stay that way and maybe look at you know, living in Texas or Brazil or wherever they want to live as long as they can still function. I, I think that's going to vary from company to company. But uh, as far as, as, as writers and directors and talent goes, um, I, I don't think that they no longer need to be in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, most of my meetings are still happening via Zoom or Google or Blue Jeans or whatever. Uh, so most of my meetings are still happening right here where I'm sitting right now. Um, so, you know, I, but that varies company to company. I know that some companies um, have gone to the hybrids. Some have completely closed their offices and don't even have offices, uh, which is, is crazy to me. Um, but, you know, I myself going back to, you know, the older days, I like going to an office. Uh, yes, uh, I do feel I can be productive any time of the day now. But with that being said, I like the inter-office com camaraderie, uh, being able to go into your partner's office and say, hey, look, what do you think about this? Or just bouncing things off of. And then also, you know, like WeWork, uh, you know, there's other companies in that WeWork building. So I would love to be able to just make new relationships that way too. So I like the office, office way. Um, some people don't, uh, but I, I would rather be in an office five to seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> you and my husband. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I totally get that. So, um, you know, what do you look for? Because I, I have a lot of young writers, or, uh, those that are maybe produced one or two things. Some may not have produced yet. What from a standpoint, are you looking for when you read a script, when you read a novel or both, they might be different, uh, that, that you go, I, I, A, I get it. I can sell it. There's a market for that. What is, what is your laundry list you look for? Uh, it's a good question. Um, and I, I think that there are many, many different answers, uh, to that. Um, a, I'm looking for a translatable story and or character. Uh, most of the content that I really gravitate towards is, is character focused. 
um, a character that is uh, in complete need and, and finds a way around that, those obstacles, like for instance, Judy Human, um, you know, just what she did. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the character focused kind of, kind of producer or manager. Now, when I'm, when you ask what I'm looking for as far as scripts or content to, to manage or to work with, uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm losing bandwidth, uh, more and more every single day. So having time to develop a baby writer is very difficult for me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaning less and less and less and less and less towards, uh, newer writers and more and more and more and more and more towards produced writers. Now, with that being said, if a script comes around that blows me away or an idea that blows me away and the script blows me away, of, of course, you know, I, I, I will take a chance on something. Um, but, uh, these days I'm really looking for. Um, momentum, someone that is is produced, has worked in the business, um, and 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 has some momentum going on them already. Uh, I I just don't I don't have the time to 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 build that. For those baby writers, and if you were going to make an exception, do you look at the festivals? Those that have won festivals, been officially selected. Um, do you find that that lends more to their credibility as a writer um, or, you know, how do you attack that if you are going to take on a baby writer? Of course, uh, always looking at and following the festival winners. Um, uh, more of the, the bigger ones, uh, the Nichols, the Page, um, you know, Austin and, and, and all of those, more of those. But yes, uh, always paying attention to to the winners, um, and and seeing what's happened. And and what I would say uh, to the writers that are that are that are winning and placing in the semifinals, keep doing because we see that we do see that every single day. We get reports. We see who is placing. We see what's placing. Keep doing that. We need to see more momentum like that. But keep doing it. I know it's. Um, sometimes redundant and sometimes uh, it's the same thing happening again and again and again with all your scripts, but maybe you're not finding a manager. Maybe you're not finding an agent. Maybe you're not finding production, but you're doing something right because you're placing and you're winning. So keep doing that. We see it. Uh, we just, it, maybe it's just not the right time just yet. Like I said earlier, uh, you know, I'm looking for the momentum I don't have time to work with baby writers. Maybe a lot of the other companies are the same way, but we see it. I would say keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it right. You're placing, you're winning. Keep doing that. Along the lines of that, you know, over the last six years, just in the festival circuit um, specifically, there's been an influx of utilizing sizzle reels, right? Or shorts that are proof of concepts for long form. Um yeah, how does that sway you? How do you like that? What's your feelings? I, I like it when it serves a purpose as a proof of concept. Now, let's just sway a little bit over to short films. Anything in the film industry or the photography industry or whatever costs a lot of money. 
I don't, I'm, I'm not the big advocate on, yes, go spend $80,000 on your, on your short film and let's see if we can do something with it. I'd rather have a script, a great script that you've spent, you know, 80,000 hours on and, and something that I can sell as opposed to uh, something that's already made like a short film that I'd have no way to, to even comprehend on how to monetize that. This is common in the industry, you know, from being an agent, we don't understand how to, how to monetize short films. It's, it's a, it's a debatable concept, but yes, there are some that fall through the cracks and that do get uh, a lot of attention. That being said, it's, it's a short, it's a small percentage uh, of projects of short films that, that do go to onto the bigger screen to uh, a longer narrative, whether that be uh, television or film. So, so when asking if, if, if that moves me or if that sways me in any way, I'd say, <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it does. But then again, uh, I'll, I'll have to say there has to be a clear path forward. How does this translate to feature or television? How does it translate to that? So that's my first question is, is how does it translate to that? Now, if, if we're talking about uh, pitch decks and, 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 and that side of the world, um, a, a different story, but I, I think that if you're doing pitch decks, you always have to lead with the script. The script is the most important part. If you're not leading with the script and you just have a pitch deck on a project, you're not leading with your best foot forward. We need to know that A, there's a story, and and B, yes, that pitch deck might come in play if a director has built that pitch deck and it's more of a lookbook. So I feel that companion material, added material would be a lookbook added with a great script. That's what I would love to see. Sometimes there is a sizzle, sometimes there is a, a, a proof of concept. We had something that we used for Judy's story. Yes, we did use Crip Camp, but we also used uh, um, Drunk, Drunk History did a, an episode on the Section 504 sit-in that Judy led, uh, where Ali Stroker played Judy in the Drunk History bit. It's like eight minutes long. We used that as our, as our proof of concept and kind of what this, this story is and, and, and the idea of the story. So sometimes it's beneficial. Um, but I, I'm, I don't advocate on, on spending a lot of money uh, to, to make that content. I, I advocate on, on the script um, and, and trying to make that script as saleable as possible. Right, and, and utilizing that pitch deck uh, along with it. Now, this is interesting because we've talked about pitch decks before with other... I'll jump in really quick, sorry. And, and because you said pitch deck, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go more towards lookbook. Uh, that, there, okay, there so is, I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> There's a difference. There's a total difference, and people don't understand that. So we've had other guests on that have talked about pitch decks. Uh, explain for people listening in what a pitch deck is and what a lookbook is, because they're two different animals utilized maybe to get you on the same path, but two different animals. Uh, and, and, and people do... Uh, um miscommunicate this or, or misunderstand this. Uh, a pitch deck is more of a, a, um, a visual document that has 
the log line, the synopsis, um, the, 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 the actors you might go on, go into character bios, character descriptions, uh, maybe even a Bible, uh, as far as, as, as where the arc of the series is going to go. Now I'm in the belief of, and this will vary. This will vary from producer to producer, manager to manager, agent to agent. This will vary across the whole entertainment system, entertainment business. Sorry. I'm in the belief of I'd rather see a script as opposed to a pitch deck. Uh, why? Because you can deliver me a great log line or a great synopsis and not be able to deliver me a script. I can't sell a pitch deck. I can't. I need to sell a script. So I need a script. Now, thinking about the lookbook. A lookbook is is usually uh, uh, accompanies a script, and it's usually the look of the film. This is the way we see it. This is the color palette that we'll possibly use for the film. This might be the the, the actors that we're looking for, pictures of them. But there will be little little to no words on that page. It's literally the visualization of what we're looking for, what it might look like. So, and that's usually built by a, a director or a graphic designer or someone that's going to be involved in the film. Um, but uh, I, I usually ask my directors to uh, to create something like that to accompany a script. The ones that are uh, taking that script on, or are hybrids that are writer directors. Okay, um, that that that's great because there's a lot of confusion, you know, out there on what is needed i guess the short short way is the pitch deck is more a marketing tool and the lookbook is more a visual storytelling tool right well let's talk yeah, about what's needed. please a script and a log line okay so log line i'm probably not going to be able to read your script if you don't mm -hmm. first have a log line because how are you going to pitch me you're going to pitch me with a query letter and inside that query letter is mm -hmm. going to be a log line. So the log line has to be able to grab me. And then the script has to grab me when mm -hmm. I request that script. So everything is pointing right to a log line mm -hmm. and a script. Right. And grabbing and the story, the right. Story. And grabbing you. Everything starts with a log line and a script. If you can't grab me on those two pieces, we're done. You're off to the races. I got it. Um, what are you looking for in that first 10, 10 pages of that script when you're reading it? Uh, it's debatable whether that is, it's debatable whether that is 10, 15, 20, uh, whatever that first plot point, we need to know that by 20 pages. So what I'm looking for is, is one, I need to know who our main character is. Who's our protagonist? Who are we, the audience, going to follow? Two, I need to know what's the obstacle. What's going to stand in that person's way? And three, I need to have an idea of a way that they might be able to get around that. Those are the three things that I need to know by page 20. If I don't know that, I have no clue of where the story is going. I have no clue of who our character is. And I probably don't at all like that character. What are you looking for in likability of character um, when you're reading that? Because, you know, there's different schools of thought on that right uh and and this probably won't be resolved until later on in the script i'm looking for redeemable qualities uh yes we're all gonna have uh conflicts in our lives 
we're all going to have skeletons in our closet. We're all going to have, you know, things that we've done or that we do that might be questionable. But the, 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 the good part about that is, is how do we redeem ourselves? How do we make ourselves better from what we just were? So I'm looking for redeemable qualities. I'm looking for likable qualities. So characters that redeem themselves and do things out of the ordinary is what I like. That's great. That's that's really very helpful for people listening in. Let's segue into oral pitches. <laughs> so in the land of Zoom and, you know, not being there living and breathing in, in the room with someone else, um, what are you looking for in an oral pitch, um, which might be a little differently than you know, a lookbook or a pitch deck. The the pitch, the pitch, as we call it, uh, is an art form within itself. Uh, and it's debatable whether you have to be able to do this or not. Some writers are not great at it. Some are fantastic at it. Sean Hader, who sold uh, the 45-minute pitch, a 45-minute pitch for the Judy Human story, she is a master storyteller. You'll see that in Coda. You'll see that in other films that she's done. She's a master storyteller. So being able to do that pitch, to craft that pitch, to talk about character, to talk about story, it's very important, but not everyone is great at that. So be able to talk about your project organically, if I'm on a Zoom with a new writer or something like that is also very important. It might not necessarily be the pitch, but just being able to talk about that project um, is important. But an added bonus is being able to pitch that project adequately. There are many, uh, many uh, uh, YouTubes that help with that, many books that help with pitching content. I'm not the best to recommend any of those. I don't know. Um, I just know who does it really well. Um, when I'm pitching content, I'm literally just saying, you know, this is the basic story, and that points right to the logline usually. So uh, that's how I pitch content. But I'm pitching much more than the writer would pitch. I'm usually pitching five to ten on one Zoom when a, a writer might just be pitching one uh, to a producer or to a manager or to an agent. Right. I think I think people don't understand that the managers also pitch. <laughs> You have to pitch to the buyers. And so your form of pitching is totally different. Yeah, is really totally different than uh, a writer in the room pitching to one buyer, one project, which is what you we were speaking of prior to. Which is, is why that log line is so important. It is the most important tool that you're ever going to write, your log line. Because if that log line does not get people, A, on paper, to either talk about it or to read the script, you're dead. So the logline is the most important part of this whole process, is that logline. It's just being honest. It is. No, I totally get it. And, and, and have you worked with your clients to go, listen, that, that logline's just not doing it. I've read the script and that's just not it. Uh, have you offered your opinion? Have you said, go back to the drawing board? You know, how, how do you work with them to get that logline a pitchable log line, at least something that you can take? Or do you, here's the other part of that question, or do you, if you are using a log line, you yourself, when you're a manager and you're pitching to buyers, 
do you morph it? Do you change it? Do you do you change it in the room on the fly for who you're pitching to? Yes, to both of those questions. Uh, yes, I, I do help edit them and help make them uh, at least more concise and make more sense. And then B, I've I've written them myself as well. Uh, so you know we we have our one or two or three or four line pitches that 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 we use, and 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 writers will have their. Uh, one or two or three or four line pitches that they use. Um, I will usually uh, uh, make it more acceptable for my needs, um, but uh, it, it still needs to be acceptable for everyone's needs. Moving into uh, reverse engineering, uh, do you find it's helpful for maybe writers who have a script that is good but isn't quite selling to reverse engineer it into a novel, giving you that novel IP to then sell it back into a script. How do you feel that is progressing in the future of entertainment? It's a good question. And I I think that there are multiple sides to that question. Uh, First, yes, IP is always great to have, uh, whether it's published in magazines, an op-ed, whatever. Um, IP is always, uh, uh, it always helps. Now, I think an author and a screenwriter are, are, are completely different formats. So whether a screenwriter can easily move over to being an author or vice versa, I think that is the debatable question. Some writers just naturally adapt and, and, and become that. Some do not. Uh, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but you know, sometimes you get a script and, and it tells the same story in 150 pages when that ratio should be uh, a minute per page. 150 pages is, is way too long for your standard feature. So being less descriptive is is very important when writing screenplays. So it it just you have to be able to 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 do both. If you're if you're an author, you have to be descriptive. If you're a screenwriter, you have to be less descriptive but still be captivating. So <coughs> excuse me. So both are are um, both are very important uh tools but they're different completely different formats. As we progress in the entertainment industry, there's been a lot of focus on basing features, TV shows off of novels, Um, but the streamers, not so much, right? Uh, Studios more so than streamers. Do you find that the streaming companies are much more open to authentic uh, content on things that are not based off of IPs, whereas the studios are really looking more for that built-in audience? Streamers are looking for IP, and they are uh, adapting IP, um, maybe not as often. Um, and, and part of my reasoning why, or my feeling why, is, 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 is there's cost. Uh, so a, a book uh, is, is almost the same as a screenplay. So you're just negotiating two at the same time. So there's still option rights, there's still purchase prices, there's still, you know, whatever other fees attached to a book that there will be attached to a screenplay. So if you have a book, uh, just think double the screenplay is basically what you're what you're talking about as, as far as price goes. Uh, 
So some of this, some of the streams might be looking to um, to cut corners and and not have uh, that that book, but I still feel that they they are still buying IP. Um, I'm selling them that, so um, I don't see a uh, a lack of 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 buying um, IP. Uh, so they're they're definitely buying it. They're definitely adapting it. Um, so, what what advice can you give? new writers looking for a lit agent, a lit manager, um, somebody to help represent them. What's your advice to these guys listening? I would, I would first ask, are you ready for a manager or an agent? Um, and, and I'm going to give you parameters on that. Uh, one, you're probably going to need more than one script unless that script is, uh, the best script I've ever read. I want you to have five or more two uh you should always be writing don't write one script and stop who who knows what's going to happen with that one script so you should always be writing abw abw always be writing three you need to be doing everything you can to advocate for yourself one you need to be entering festivals you need to be entering contests. You need to be doing that. So that's part of your work. That's part of your job. That's how we see you. Two, you need to be joining writers groups. You need to be networking. Networking is, is so important in this business. If you don't know people in this business, if you don't read the trades, you need to be doing all that every single day. Networking is, is, is possibly the second most important part in this business outside of a log line. If you don't know people, if you're not talking to people, if you're not congratulating people when they are mentioned in the trades, you're not doing your job. So do your job and I'm going to find you. So if you continue to do those things, we're going to eventually find you. Uh, like we said earlier in, in, in this podcast, you're doing your work. You're, you're placing in festivals, you're winning festivals and contests. Keep doing that. Keep writing. Keep doing it. And we're going to see that. So that's what I'm going to say. We're usually looking for momentum and we'll see that momentum. And believe me, we see you when you're placing in those contests and when you're doing all that work, we see that. So that's my recommendation. Great. Um, where do you see yourself? In five years, <laughs> where, where, where do, what, what do you want? To, what haven't you? What do you want? Uh, Probably right here, same, <laughs> uh, exactly the same place that I am right now. Uh, no, I mean, of course, I would like to grow uh, Gravity Squared. Um, uh, so, so I see Gravity Squared as as a, a management 360 or a circle of confusion. That's what I see gravity squared as in, in five years from now. So I, I keep wanting to build. I want to build and build and build. I want to produce and produce and produce. I want to have a publishing imprint. I would like to be able to publish content myself and bring that project from manuscript to screen. Um, I, would, I would love to control that from, from the get-go. So yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm I'm, I'm always looking uh, to to grow uh, to grow the company, uh, to grow as a producer, to grow as a manager. Um, but I I I don't do that uh, without 
great writers and and I'm blessed um, to have some of the best. Um, I, I represent two astronauts. I, I represent, um, you know, some of the best writers in the world, some of the best people in the world, Judy Human being one of those, you know, so I, I'm, I'm blessed to have and to represent uh, amazing clients, whether they're writers or just people or whoever they are. Um, I'm blessed to have them and, and tell their stories. What last question? What is a, What's a dirty little secret that you wish somebody had told you along your travels and you're like, you know, had I known that <laughs> 10 years ago, that would have saved me so much time. That options don't pay the bills. Sorry, people. Options are not what they used to be. People don't pay fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 for screenplays or for books anymore. It's just not realistic. Uh, the, 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 the numbers that we see are, are usually between, uh, five and 20, uh, you know, for an option. And, and that's just an option. Hopefully that gets made, but then again, you know, only 10% of those are getting made. So, um, you know, you, you gotta be, you gotta be in it for the long haul. Uh, I, I've started this company seven years ago and I, I feel like I'm just getting to a point where I'm, where I'm semi-successful. So it takes a long time, whether you're a writer, whether you're an actor, it takes a long time to keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep getting pushed down and you keep getting knocked down, but you keep getting up and you keep doing it. That's what we have to do. I have to do that the same way you have to do it because I get knocked down all the time. So I have my own uh, you know, obstacles as well as you do. So, you know, just know that, you know, we're all uh, suffering the same, you know, con or the, the same kind of scenario. Um, I've just been doing it a little bit longer than maybe you have, or maybe a lot of you have been doing it for longer than I have. You know, it's just, you have to be able to, to, to get back up when you get pushed down and you're going to get pushed down but you have to be able to get back up and learn from that and, and learn how can I do this better? How can I continue to do this? And it's those people that have that passion, that persistence and that dedication. They're the ones that, go, that are going to survive, but it might take 10 years. So you just have to keep doing it. Same with me. Exactly. You know, you're, you're quoting Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, life is exactly. life is going to keep kicking you, kicking you down to the mat, kicking you down to the mat, and it's only those that get up and keep fighting that are going to win. So every thank you. single day is a fight. Every day is a fight. Uh, literally. Every day, every day. Thank you so much for um, John for coming on Best and Fast. You were listening to John Beach. Um, for those that want to see the video component, you can tap onto LaFemme uh, YouTube channel and see the video component of this podcast. Don't forget to like us, uh, shout out to us, and rate us. And then if you've got questions, DM. We try and address those when we are interviewing um, our lovely professionals. John Beach, thank you so much for all your inspiration you, and your information. Thank you. Best and best. We're out.